Well, good evening. Um, I, I will be teaching tonight the question 102 from the London Baptist Catechism. Question, what is the Lord's Supper? And the answer, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the New Testament instituted by Jesus Christ, wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to this appointment, his death is shown forth, and the worthy receivers are, not after a corporal or carnal manner, but by faith made partakers in the body and blood with all his benefits to their spiritual nourishment and growth in grace. Simply put, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance given to us by Christ in which we symbolically see his death and, by faith, we are partakers of his body and blood. This ordinance provides spiritual nourishment and growth in grace to the believer. So what the Lord's Supper is not, I think it's important that we kind of look at what it is not so that we can have a better picture as to what it actually is. The Lord's Supper is does not save you. You are not saved by the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is not the physical consumption of Jesus' body and blood. The Lord's Supper is not for everyone. It should be, it should be guarded because it is only for believers. The symbol of the meal has no impact on the unbeliever, as he or she has not even in her has not been invited to the meal by the Holy Spirit yet, calling people to the table who are not actually believers sends them the wrong message. It allows them to pretend to be or to have a saving faith in Christ, merely putting on a costume of faith, but has no real symbolic application of Christ's work because there is no saving work from Christ in them yet. Communion, like baptism is for believers only. What the Lord's Supper actually is. It is a command for believers to participate in. It is symbolic of the word of the work that Christ ha has done for his people. The Lord's Supper is only for believers to participate in. Communion is a means of grace. Look at your ministry had a nice write-up regarding the means of grace saying, in his grace and in and his wisdom, God has provided ways by which we can regularly have our faith in, in him and their promises fulfilled. Historically, we have referred to these ways of strengthening our faith as the ordinary means of grace. Prayer, the preaching of the word, and the sacraments are not elaborate or fancy methods of giving us what we need to confirm our trust in Christ. To an outside observer, they do not seem very special at all. After all, they make use of rather common things, such as human speech, bread, wine, and water. But by faith and the work of the Holy Spirit, these common elements are used to do an uncommon work. The confirmation of our trust in Jesus and the strengthening of our wills to, to flee from sin and to rest in Christ alone. Communion is a means of grace that God has blessed his church with. The Lord's Supper is another example to us that there is nothing that we can do for our own salvation. The Supper celebrates Christ's work only. We are merely invited guests at his table. We brought no side dishes, apps, or desserts. We, we did not help with the meal in any way. We are only able to partake and enjoy it because we were invited with the words, Come, follow me, Matthew 4. 19 not because christ or 
not because Christ paid. I'm sorry. Oh, and because Christ paid for us to attend. Sorry. We are commanded to participate in communion. The Lord's Supper is decreed to the church by Christ. All Christians are invited to the table. All Christians are welcome at the table. We are commanded to do a self-examination before we participate. We are looking at our lives with a critical eye that we truly are dying to ourselves and are obedient to God. 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then 1 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves to see whether that you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The elements of the table, bread and wine, are to be used in this sacrament. The bread and wine represent temporal blessings from that God has provided for us. The bread and the wine also correctly represent Christ to us. The ceremony of the table. These elements are blessed. These elements precede the distribution. These blessings precede the distribution. Only Christians can bless the elements, or any Christian can bless the elements, and it is to be done until Christ returns. The symbolism of the table. The bread represents Christ's body. According to John uh, chapter 6, verses 48 to 63, uh, we see this long discussion that Jesus is talking about in this passage uh, about him being the bread. The, uh, the unleavened bread represents Christ and his sinless life. Christ referred to himself as the bread of life. Jesus reveals in John 6 several times that he is, in fact, the bread of life. In verse 33, for the, bre for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Jesus, Jesus shares how he is the better manna from the wilderness, a reference back to Exodus and the people's wandering through the wilderness with God miraculously providing for them manna to eat. Verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, li for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died, Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The wine represents Christ's blood. The table is a symbolic portrayal of Christ's suffering and death. The table is commemorative. There's unity at the table. Communion is not a private affair. It is done at a local church. All believers partake of one table and are all blessed from it. The table is a time for believers to reconcile one to another. Both believers with issues with one another and as a whole should see the table as a time to be drawn together because of what the table represents. The former to both show and receive forgiveness just as the Father has forgiven us and the latter to see us all as being built into a spiritual house according to 1 Peter 2.5. The result of partaking at the table. What what do we get from participating in communion? We get a shared sense of joy. And it should also point us to the future feast with Christ. Communion as the better Passover. So I want us to kind of look at 
communion here as the better Passover. But then at the end, we're going to look and see how communion, while at one point we could see it as the anti-type, the end, and that the type of Passover should point us to communion, we should be at the end looking at communion. It's pointing to us uh, to see something better at the end, something that we can look forward to. As believers, we need to see communion as the better Passover. Passover was the miraculous conclusion to Israel's servitude in Egypt. Through the ten plagues, God demonstrated that only he was capable of saving Israel from its bondage. Israel is freed only after God slays the firstborn of every house in, of, in Egypt of man and beast. Exodus 12 describes God's temporal redemption for Israel. And then we can go back and we're going to look now and spend some time in Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if their father's house, or I'm sorry, and if their household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Unlike many of the sacrifices we've seen in Leviticus, there is some, or I'm sorry, where if someone could not get what the Lord called for, he would make provision with something smaller, like a dove. However, here, there is only one type of sacrifice that will work, a lamb. The decree from God is delivered through Moses to the people as to how they will be saved. They will have to believe and to be obedient if they are to be saved. For us in the New Covenant, communion shows us a picture of Christ who saves completely for the remission of sin. The Lamb did save the people from the angel of death coming through Egypt. But that Lamb's blood did not forgive sin. Christ, our Lamb's blood, does save, even to the uttermost, according to Hebrews 7. The Lamb of the first Passover saved for only one night. But the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world saves people from past, present, and future sin. Jesus is that there is that better lamb. His sacrifice covered all believers through all ages forever. His single sacrifice is enough to save all that the Father sent him to atone for. It is as if for each of us that Christ's blood is sprinkled on the lentil and doorpost of our of our hearts, thus saving us forever from the punishment of sin, and even more so saving us from sin itself. And then back into Exodus. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you will take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Notice the time which the lambs were to be killed, twilight. Now remember back into Matthew 27, where, where Christ is hanging on the cross, that the earth darkened for about three hours, almost like a twilight giving up his spirit at the end of that time. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. The blood absolutely saved every Israelite that had, that had sprinkled their door with it. However, it did not cleanse them forever. 
Christ's blood, however, does, uh, I'm sorry, covers to the uttermost. His blood covers every believer and saves them from judgment that is to come. They shall eat the flesh that, oh, according to verse 8, they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. God is being clear with his people that in the way that he, that in the way that he will save them, he is not leaving it up to them to make alterations to the way he is saving them. We also see that this lamb is only for Israel. There is no meat left for any Egyptian from the Passover meal. Both meal and salvation come only from or only to his people. In verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you or destroy you. Then, or when I strike the land of Egypt, just as the blood of the of the slain lamb covered the inhabitants of the of the house Christ's blood covers the believer the blood of the lamb spared only those in the house from God's judgment as does the blood of the lamb who takes away the sin of the world covers only the sin of believers passover will be set as a time for remembrance for Israel all of national Israel is to look at what God did to save them as evidence of his power to save, his ability to save, as well as his willingness to save his people. Verse 14 of Exodus continues. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is, what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Leaven is seen here as the symbolic representation of sin. Just as Israel called to remove the leaven from their homes, believers are called uh, to take stock of their lives, looking for sin that is visible and even potentially invisible to them, and are to remove it from their lives. Paul, in calling the Corinthians to holiness in 1 Corinthians 5-7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Before coming to the table, believers must look inward to any sin that may be there and give it to Christ. Israel had to do this, this physical act um, on one week a year, but the believer is called to self-examination always. The Passover feast, like communion, is commemorative. It looks back on what, is, what God has done for his people and gives them joy, and it increases their faith in him, seeing that he is, in fact, mighty to save. Back into Exodus. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people lowered their heads and they worshipped. The Lord knew that children would ask questions. He prepared the people 
to have an answer ready. Unlike the Passover, children do not participate in communion as communion is only for believers. Our children do sit with us each month and see communion. Just as Israel had an opportunity each Passover to teach their children of God's saving of them, we believers have the same opportunity each month. We get the chance to both show them they need a Savior and point them to Him, explaining to them Christ's work through the symbol of bread and wine. Israel only could look to a or to a point and say what God had done for them through the through the death of the Lamb and His blood for one instance. Whereas we have our very lives daily to explain how Christ's blood covers us forever. The Passover table is to be guarded for, or excuse me, the communion table is to be guarded. And the Lord said to Moses, so we're going to see that Passover is something that's, that's special just for Israel. Um, and that we're going to extend that to the idea that communion for us is something that should be guarded and protected. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is brought, that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord. Let him, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Passover clearly had requirements of who could and who couldn't partake. Communion has the same requirements. Only believers of Jesus Christ should ha- should take communion. We see that in order to take the Passover, males had to be circumcised, as that was the evidence that they were part of the people of God throughout the old covenant. Baptism being the better cir- baptism is the sign for someone that they are a believer in the new covenant. So it goes without saying that believers need to be baptized before they can sit at the Lord's table. Our Presbyterian brothers who do baptize their children have a difficult time explaining how they could keep their their baptized children from the table. So we want to see that baptism, although it in and of itself does not save you either, it is evidence that you are part of the, um, the, the community of believers. It is evidence that you are saved. It is your public declaration. And so it is a requirement, but I would say it is a requirement before you can take communion. Now, if somebody is saved and we, like, you know, we don't baptize every single Sunday, but if somebody is saved and professing and they're just waiting for the, uh, for baptism to be available to them, then absolutely, please come and enjoy communion. But if people are, are refusing to be baptized or they're, delaying for some reason, uh, it's probably best that they wait on communion as well. Communion as both a type and an anti-type. So when we talk about things from the Old Testament and we say that they point forward to something that Christ has done in the New Testament, 
We talk about this language in types and anti-types. The type being kind of the beginning, the anti-type being the end point of that. Uh, we might look at something like the ark as being a type. It's a type of salvation in which God provided this ark for Noah and his family. And that also points forth to the idea that Christ is our ark. He's, he is the only one who saves us. He's the anti-type to the type that is the ark. So communion for us is both the anti-type in regards to the Passover. And then looking forward, we're going to see that communion can also be viewed as a type pointing forward to something else. Communion should be viewed in the light of being the better Passover. However, we should say at the same or at the same time, look at communion as the type with us looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb described in Revelation 19, 6 through 9, saying, Then I heard what seemed to be a circle of great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. For the Christian, communion is a symbolic meal that celebrates and remembers what Christ has done for us. However, upon his triumphant return, we will share a celebration meal with him in heaven, this this supper of the lamb in which we're, we are with Christ, we are after judgment, and then clearly Christ the groom and his bride, the church, are together and they are celebrating at this meal. I don't know if many of you guys have been to a wedding before. I've been to one for sure <laughs> with my own wife, and then I've been to several others. And I would say that pretty much every single wedding I've ever been to, after the two are made one, they go out and then there is a meal that everyone shares in and celebrates. That is going to be what happens to the church and its groom Christ after judgment. There will be this giant celebratory feast to consummate the marriage of Christ and the church, re fully redeeming his bride. Warning and applications to believers. We must be careful not to go into the ditch of overstating what communion is and giving it some sort of mystical power that isn't really there the way that Rome does, nor, nor to, um, I'm sorry, nor also do we go in the other direction into another ditch of undervaluing the table so as it becomes more like a snack table than a, commemorat a commemoration of what Christ has done for us. Rather, we should have the desire that the Puritan William Perkins had saying, we keep the middle way, neither giving too much nor too little to the sacraments. Communion doesn't save us. Christ is not literally brought into us as flesh and blood. It's also not a time to eat a Dorito and swig down some Mountain Dew. It's a time of reverence in which we look back on what Christ has done for his people and to look forward to the, that day that we will partake of this meal with him in person.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, Lord, and we thank you for the communion that you provide for us, Lord. We know that just like baptism, it doesn't save us, but it does point us to uh, see you, Father, as Savior. God, your son's blood is perfect and flawless. It covers every single um, person that you sent him to atone for, God. Um, not one not one sin that we committed um, does his blood not pay for, Father. God, we thank you for so much. Give us eyes to see communion um, rightly, Lord. Give it as a time for us to both self-examine, see to see in our own lives where sin is still there and to look to um, remove that, Father, while still pointing at Christ and recognizing that his uh, sacrifice and his blood really does pay for all of the sins that we have in our lives, God. We love you and we thank you for so much. Amen.